All right. We are continuing a series that we're calling When It's All Said and Done. We're in part three. So this is an end time series that we started because last spring we did a little survey of what are some topics people want to hear about. And one of those topics, actually the, the most most voted for topic was end times. Do some end times teaching. And, uh, you know, I'm not, I, I guess I just don't fully understand what's going to happen. <laughs> so I have trouble preaching on end times things, but you know, there's some there's some straightforward, just obvious things that we can be aware of in the scriptures with regards to end times things. And some of the things that we've covered already so far are Jesus is coming back. He's coming here. It's not just that we, you know, wait and then we die and we go to heaven, you know, but the promise is, is that Jesus is going to return to this earth. And just like People were looking for the Messiah for the first coming that we, you know, celebrate at Christmas time, the birth of Christ. We are anticipating the second coming of Jesus, that he will return to this earth and that there's going to be a lot of stuff that happens at that same time. Last week, we talked about tribulation, great tribulation that's described in the scriptures that, you know, lots of crazy stuff is going to happen Jesus talked about it in Matthew chapter 24. You look in the uh, book of Revelation, you got the seven seals, you got all, you got bowls of God's wrath. You got all kinds of like crazy bad things that are coming at the end. There's a prophecies of great tribulation. There's also prophecy of what we call the rapture or, or the Lord coming and rescuing his people, rescuing those who are faithful, calling them from the four winds and bringing them in, you know, and if you're, uh, alive when that moment happens, then in the twinkling of an eye, you're changed and caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Like, that's pretty sweet stuff. So uh, these are things that I think in the scriptures, we see very strong evidence, you know, that we can we can know. Jesus is coming back. There's going to be tribulation. There's going to be some crazy bad stuff that happens at the end and that God is going to rescue the faithful, that there will be a rapture of the believers. So these are things we can we can believe for and we can expect. And today, in part three of this, we're going to try to look at the age-old question. So when is all this going to happen? You know, that's, that's something everybody wants to know is like, Pastor Mike, what day is Jesus coming back and what time? You know, like, well, okay, uh, spoiler alert, I don't know. And I believe the Bible clearly says we're not going to know. But there are some things we can know. So when is all this stuff going to happen? Well, Jesus talked about how the, the temple wasn't going to have one stone left on another. And, you know, at the end of the sermon last time, we talked about that, you know, in AD 70. So this would have been, let's call it 37 years after the crucifixion, that then the, uh, the temple was destroyed. And so that happened, something that Jesus predicted occurred, but we see a whole bunch of other stuff that hasn't happened yet. There are, you know, like the second coming hasn't happened. The, <laughs> the great tribulation, the rapture of the believers, you know, like these sorts of things haven't happened yet. So when is that going to happen? And we pick this up where we left off in Matthew chapter 24, where we're working our way all the way through the whole chapter. And actually, the, the conversation continues through the end of chapter 25. So this is a long conversation, two whole chapters in the book of Matthew on one discussion. And so let's pick it up. 
verse 36 of Matthew 24, and Jesus answers the when question very quickly and succinctly. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So at the beginning, uh, verse 3 of chapter 24, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Finally, by verse 36, he says, but about the day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So we don't know. The angels don't know. And there's a lot of stuff that angels know that we don't know. But this is something we don't know and the angels don't know. And at least at the time that Jesus said this, I don't know about today, I assume he knows now, but at the time Jesus said that, it says, nor the son. So Jesus himself doesn't know the day or the hour, at least at that time he didn't know the day or the hour, but only the father. So this is a pretty big secret. You know what I mean? If if we don't know, if the angels don't know, if Jesus doesn't know, only the Father knows, then this is a big, big secret when this is going to happen. So there you go. You know, we also saw the speed it's coming thing before. So is it something that maybe depends on what's going on? I, I, I don't know. Bottom line is, we don't know. So then... In this conversation, Jesus continues on for 61 more verses. So the end of the story isn't, we don't know, but there's a continuation of that. He kind of reiterates some things. Let's look at the next few verses here in Matthew 24. We're going to go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We'll take a little peek at 2 Peter 3. You know, we're going to look around. We're going to view a few things and try to get a sense of, you know, like, how do we handle not knowing, and are there things we can know? So here we go. Let's, let's read these next few verses down to verse 44. Again, verse 36. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So Jesus continues on. He makes it very clear. You do not know. We're not going to know. The angels don't know. Again, at the time of this, when Jesus said that, He didn't know. I don't know if he knows now. I assume he does. But all these people are not going to know. And Jesus talks about it just like Noah's flood. You know, at Noah's flood, the time was coming. I believe Noah let people know, hey, you know, something bad's happening. And then they just, I just imagine they laughed at him. You know, as you're building a boat out in the middle of dry land for, you know, and then something happened. You know, people weren't expecting it. They were making plans past the flood. And then the flood happened. 
And Jesus is saying, it's going to be like that. It's going to take people by surprise. They're going to be making plans past the day of the Lord, past the time when Jesus is going to return, past when all these things are going to happen. They're going to be making plans for past that, but then all of a sudden it's going to happen. And we also saw in 2 Peter chapter 3, that Peter talked about the flood with regards to end times events. I'm just going to jump over to 2 Peter chapter 3, and that's where Peter was talking about the flood and then what's going to happen to us. So 2 Peter 3, 6 and 7, by these waters, also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. So the flood, Noah's flood. Verse 7, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So there was a flood that destroyed the ancient world. Here, Peter says there's going to be fire that's going to destroy our world. That doesn't sound real good, uh, you know, but we see correlation between the flood and the end times events in what Jesus says in Matthew 24 and what Peter says in chapter three. And, you know, there's two things. The flood was really bad for a whole lot of people, even for Noah and his family. I think it would have been pretty traumatic. And these end times, you know, you you have the great tribulation. You've got the great persecution before that. You've got lots of difficulties, lots of struggles, lots of hardships. And the time of when it was all going to happen in Noah's day, only no one knew, and he let his family know. People, Other people didn't believe him. And then uh, here we have the, the same thing. We don't know. We simply don't know. So let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Great section of scripture talking about more end times things. 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians has end time stuff in it too. So interesting things there. 1 and 2 Thessalonians were books written by the apostle Paul to the church in Thessalonica, and these people were making good progress. You know, they were serving God effectively. They were doing good work, you know, and they were digging into the scriptures and that sort of a thing. And so we see Paul deals with some pretty significant things with the church in Thessalonica when he writes his letters to them. So I want to go to chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, read verses 5 through 11, and we'll see if we can't glean a little bit of information here. So 1 Thessalonians 5, starting in verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that when we were... so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. So kind of an interesting 
section of scripture here. It starts off the same, you know, we're not going to know verses one through three, a whole lot of, you know, like, I don't know when peace and safe people are saying peace and safety, destruction is going to come. So we have that same like tribulation kind of concept there. So, you know, we're getting a lot of repeating themes in end times discussions in the scriptures. And, you know, like we're not going to know then bad things are going to happen. But in verse four, Paul says something interesting, but you brothers and sisters are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. Not to be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised. When it happens, it shouldn't be like, oh, look at that. I can't believe it. You know, like it shouldn't be a surprise. We shouldn't be surprised like a thief. What does that mean? Does it mean we can know? Maybe we could know the season. We go back to Matthew chapter 24, something we read last time didn't really dwell on it, but we read through it, verses 32 and 33, Jesus says, back in Matthew 24, now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you will know that it is near, right at the door. So that means that, you know, there's indication that we can know the season. Maybe we don't know the day and the hour, you know, like what day is it going to turn into winter? I don't know, but we can tell it's coming, you know, <laughs> we can tell it's coming. What day is spring going to happen? Well, we're not really sure, uh, it, you know, not solar spring, but, uh, but you know, like when is, is it going to break? We're not exactly sure, but we know the season. Is that what this is talking about? You know, that's interesting. I think if you go to Matthew 24, 14, it makes it interesting as far as knowing the season. We talked about that. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. We're about 10 years away from having the gospel translated, the Bible translated into every known written language on the planet, even people groups less than a million people. We are, we are almost there to all of those languages. Could that be the season and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. Is that the tender shoot? Are we starting to know that summer is near? Are we starting to see the season there? You know, maybe. Uh, so now it's time to speculate a little bit. You know, uh, there's lots of things we can speculate through. I, I think going back to uh, now 2 Thessalonians, to the, to the letters written to the Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians has some end time stuff in it too. And since we're speculating, I'm going to dig into that a little bit because I have a speculation there. Uh, let's go to Second Thessalonians 2, 9 through 12. It says this, The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. And all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. So, ah, so this is talking about the Antichrist, which, I mean, we haven't even dealt with that at all in the series here. You know, like the Antichrist, kind of a very important thing, but there's a figure, you know, that's going to be the Antichrist, going to kind of represent all the bad things, you know, and then if you go into the book of revelation you know you got the beast you got the false prophet you know like we got with all kinds of stuff going on here with you know wild things happening but this is end time stuff 
And the thing I wanted to look at with regards to knowing the season is there's some kind of powerful delusion that takes over humanity. You know, we look at that. I remember the first time I read this, I thought, what? God's going to send a powerful delusion so that people will believe lies. That doesn't seem like something God would do. Um, but let's look at it. He will use, uh, so Satan, you know, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. And all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. So there's a rejection of truth that happens. And then verse 11, for this reason, because they refuse to love the truth, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. So they refuse to love the truth, but then God helps them along, sends a powerful delusion. Like, you know, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. This is like opposing the proud. You know, he's, he's actually... Uh, sending a delusion to further confuse people. It's amazing, you know, so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. A powerful delusion. In today's world, you know, we went into the information age and now we're in the disinformation age. Again, I'm speculating here, so don't think I'm making a claim. But what if this powerful delusion is the internet artificial intelligence algorithms that pull us to different websites because all those things do is create more and more confusion, more and more disinformation, uh, because it's based on what will suck you in, not based on what's true. Uh, maybe the internet algorithms are the powerful delusion. I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea, but there's a million things to talk about. How about some more speculation? Last time we talked about tribulation and rapture. One of the big discussions people have is, you know, which is it? Is it that the rapture happens first and we fly away, I'll fly away, oh glory, then the world's going to burn after that. You know, like, is it something along those lines where the, the rapture happens first so we don't have to worry about the tribulation? Or is the tribulation happening and then we get raptured in the middle of it? Or do we have to last through the whole tribulation and then we get raptured away? You know, like, how does that work? And, you know, I've looked into it some I'm not an expert, but even if we just look at Matthew 24, things that we've already looked at, if we go to verse 22, it says, if those days had not been cut short, this is talking about the great tribulation. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. That sounds like the elect, the believers, the faithful will have to be there for the tribulation. Otherwise, why would you have to cut it short for their sake if they're already gone? That seems like you know, post-tribulation rapture. But then we just flip farther into verse into, into chapter 24, starting in verse 36, things that we read already today. This seems to indicate that, uh, you know, it happens first. About that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. So, you know, and then it's the two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left, that sort of a thing. Like, if everybody's just going all along in their normal business, that doesn't sound like we're in the middle of the Great Tribulation, right? I mean, if it's just like, like with Noah, it was fine. And the flood came and one day it all changed. Here in, you know, in like, say, verses 36 through 41... It sounds like everything is happening as normal. Then, you know, one will be taken and the other left. And on all the stuff is going to happen. It's not like 
seven years go by and then people get taken away, which is, you know, what we think the, the length of the great tribulation will be seven year period of time. So is it pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, you know, first Thessalonians five, nine, we're not appointed under wrath. You know, like if, if the tribulation is the wrath of God, we shouldn't be here for the wrath of God. Cause we're, uh, you know, saved from the wrath of God by Christ. So we should be gone by like here, which one is it pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib? I don't know. I have no idea. What I do know is this. If you think as a believer in Jesus, you're not going to go through any hardships, then, then you need to reorder your thinking because certainly the great persecution applies to believers. And so if just because you believe in Jesus doesn't mean everything's going to be easy. So I'd say be ready for lasting through difficult situations if you are a follower of Jesus. But what do we know for sure? We know for sure that we won't know for sure <laughs> what the time, you know, what the the date and time is, the day and the hour. We know for sure we're not going to know that. I believe we know for sure that we're not exactly going to know the order of things, you know, that it, that some things indicate this, some things indicate that, and it all makes sense in the end. But right now we have trouble putting it all together. So we know that for sure, that we're not really sure. And here's another thing I believe we can know for sure. And that is that if Christians fight with each other over stuff we don't know for sure, that that is very destructive, that it subverts the cause of Christ, it destroys the body of Christ, and it it causes people to turn away from God because God's people are acting stupid. So we don't want to be fighting over stuff that we don't know for sure. So that's what we know for sure. Let's go back to uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 4. You know, it said, we're not in the dark. Let me flip there real quick. First Thessalonians 5, 4. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. So if we don't know for sure, we don't know the day or the hour, maybe we can know the season, but we don't know for sure. And a lot of people have thought they've known the season, and then it was, you know, didn't happen in that season, or at least not within decades or centuries of when they thought it was going to happen. What does this mean? We're not in the dark. You brothers and sisters are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. If we don't know when it's going to happen, how can we not be in the dark? Well, here's how I see it. This is my thought. If you've ever been in the doctor's office, you're sitting in the waiting room, you're reading a 15-year-old version of Field and Stream, you know the doctor is going to call your name. You know, someone's going to come out, they're going to call your name and you can go in for your appointment. You don't know when that's going to happen. You know it's going to happen, but you don't know when. You're ready for it. And so you're not surprised when they call your name, but you just don't know when it's going to happen. So you're not in darkness because you're sitting in the waiting room waiting for your appointment. Then when your name is called, even though you don't know when that's going to happen, could be five minutes, 15 minutes, an hour. You know, if something crazy is going on, it could be longer than that. And, you know, you don't know when your name is going to be called, but you know it will be. So you're not surprised. You're not in darkness. The other, the opposite of that would be is if you missed your appointment. If you're not in the waiting room, you know, reading an old uh, uh, copy of Field and Stream, waiting for your appointment, you know, like if, if you miss your doctor's appointment completely, then you're in the dark. Well, that was today. Like we don't need to be the, oh, that was today, people. We need to be in the waiting room ready and prepared. So what makes us ready? What makes it so we don't miss the appointment? Let's go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 5 through 8. You are all children of the light and children of the day. 
we do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. Okay, so awake. Not gonna, I'm not going to make the woke joke. All right, we're going to be awake. <laughs> we're going to be awake. That means that we're paying attention. We're alert and sober. That means that we're, we're not clouding our thinking by chemicals or whatever it might be. You know, we're not drunk. We're sober and we're awake. So we're paying attention. We're awake. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. So we want to be awake and sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. So faith and love is kind of like the mini version of the the armor of God, you know. And so we want to have faith and love as a breastplate protecting our heart and then the hope of salvation as a helmet. You know, we are believe in God that he is returning and he's going to help us. So what does it mean to not be in the dark? It means that we're awake. We're paying attention to the things of God. We're sober. You know, we're not drunk and missing the point of everything, but we're filled with faith and love and hope, not knowing the dates, the time exactly, but being ready, being right with God, living for Christ, loving others. That's that's how we're ready. And uh, this is what, you know, Paul emphasizes here. And it's what Jesus emphasizes when we go back to Matthew chapter 24. We go back to Matthew chapter 24 and we pick it up where we left off. You know, we've got a few more verses in chapter 24, but then all of chapter 25 is the same conversation. So Jesus goes from talking about, you know, the basically the temple being destroyed and tribulation and rapture, his return, not knowing the day or the hour and all these things. And then he finishes off the conversation by talking about how can you be ready? How can you be prepared for this to happen so that you're not going to be like the person who gets robbed and you had no idea they were coming? You're prepared. You're ready. Let's pick it up at verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All right, so that's the end of chapter 24. Let's talk about this a little bit. And then next week, it'll either be the Thanksgiving sermon or a special speaker. And then the week after that, we'll finish this dialogue. We'll go into chapter 25, where Jesus tells three parables that are basically all about, okay, the end is coming. We don't know when, so what do you do? You do chapter 25. You succeed at what the topics of those three parables are, and then you don't have to worry about the, the day or the hour. And that's basically what this little bit here at the end of chapter 24 is talking about. You want to be the faithful and wise servant of Jesus. It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so, serving him when he returns. 
I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. Isn't that, that's just an amazing thing. I, I haven't wrapped my mind around that yet. You know, that God will put us in charge of his things in the next age. That's, that's an interesting thought. We see that with the parable of the talents in the next chapter, which is again in the same discussion. So we want to be, you know, doing what God has called us to do now. Then when Jesus returns, which we don't know when that's going to be, it's a pop quiz, you know, a pop final exam, really. <laughs> then, then we know we're good. We know we're in good shape. But there's the other side. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master's staying away a long time. You know, then he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. You know, there's the people who are like, well, I'll get ready later. I'll get ready for Jesus later. Not to, nah, not now, uh, later. He's saying the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour he is not aware of. And then verse 51 is just harsh. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is people who believe in Jesus, but who refuse to stay ready for his return. He will cut them to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Oh, that's harsh, man. So it isn't about knowing when Jesus is coming back. It's about living for Jesus now. We're going to kind of land the plane here, try to finish this one up. Some of this stuff can seem kind of harsh, you know, the cut to pieces, weeping and gnashing of teeth, you know, assign a place with the hypocrites. That's not good. But here's the deal. Let's just stay as far away from that as possible. Let's walk with Jesus. Living a life with God, knowing God, living the ways of God is worth it for this life. You know, some people try to tell you that serving Jesus is terrible, is a huge hassle, but at least you get to go to heaven. I don't believe that at all. Now, of course, with there's persecution, there's hardships that come with faith, you know, like I'm not denying that. But even in that, standing up for the truth is better than caving to pressure. I'd rather stand up for the truth in hardships than, you know, be spineless and just fall apart in those hardships. So it's better to serve the Lord and it's worth it for today. Even if there was no afterlife, knowing God for today is worth it. Knowing who you are, who, who created you, and, and the, the beauty of who we are through Christ, that's worth it for just this moment. Learning how to be forgiven and set free is worth it. Learning how to forgive other people and love other people and have the peace of God that transcends all understanding. Like, that's worth it just for today. But there's blessed assurance as well. I want to go to John chapter 10, verse 10. It's a classic verse. It, Jesus is speaking. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, have life more abundantly. We did a series talking about this, the thief there. A lot of people think it's the devil because the devil does steal, kill, and destroy. This is actually talking about bad religion. Bad religion steals, kills, and destroys, like religion that tells you that serving Jesus is a huge hassle and it stinks, but at least you get to go to heaven. That's bad religion. Jesus came to give us life to the full. Let's go get it. Let's believe and take hold of abundant life you know, let's have that for today and let's rest in the Lord in eternal life as well. So let's go get that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
Thank you that we don't need to know the times or the dates. We don't need to know the hour. Maybe we know the season. I'm not even sure about that. It sure seems like the season to me. So, Lord, let us be ready. Let us be prepared. Let us be walking with you, knowing you, living in your forgiveness, living in your grace, living in your mercy, and showing your love, your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness to this world, walking in the light, walking in your truth. Lord, grabbing hold of abundant life, life to the full, living in the joy of knowing you and being led by you through this life and then resting in everlasting life and the hope we have for eternity. If you if you don't if you're not right with God, today's the day. Get right with God. All you got to do is ask Jesus into your heart, ask for forgiveness, pledge your life to serve the Lord, and then go ahead and do that and then you're ready for the return of Christ. So Lord, I pray you would prompt our hearts to take hold of the good things that you've got for us and to not miss any of it. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.